Welcome to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. On this show, we interview agritourism farmers, authors, leaders, and influencers who share their insights on growing and monetizing your agritourism business. Here's your host, Dustin Reed. Hi, this is Dustin from Curb and Turf, and you're listening to The Recurring Plot, a show that talks about RVs and how to earn extra income from your property. Today, we have a special guest who has revolutionized the homesteading community and inspired countless individuals to embrace a simpler, more fulfilling lifestyle. I'm thrilled to welcome the founder of Prairie Homestead, Jill Winger. In this episode, we'll be talking about Jill's fascinating journey, her expertise in homesteading, and how she successfully built an online business to support her own homesteading venture. So get ready to be inspired and gain valuable insight from Jill. With no further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Jill today. Jill, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Dustin. I'm really excited to chat. I'm excited too. I've been actually looking forward to this. I actually came back from Puerto Rico with my wife, and so we had tons of guests lined up, but you're actually one of the ones I was looking forward to talking to with the most just because oh, um, I, I grew up on a dairy, so I, I'm, I kind of it's not obviously homesteading, but there's a lot of similarities and stuff, yes. living off the land and, and everything else. So I'm really excited about hearing your story. Most of our listeners might not familiar with you or you're obviously you have your own following. Can you tell a bit about yourself and how you became interested in homesteading or kind of tell your origin story, how that began? I know that's probably quite the story, but it is. Yeah. I'll give you the, the cliff notes version. So I wasn't, I wasn't born into this lifestyle. I wasn't born into a homestead family or a ranch or farm or anything like that. I was actually raised really conventionally, typical 90s kid in a little neighborhood and split level house sort of situation. And even though I was pretty normal childhood, I was always kind of a weirdo in terms of as a little girl, I wanted something different. And I had something in me that was like craving agriculture and craving living in the country. And I, I really liked horses. And so horses were a big piece of that. So I've always had that little weird piece of me, which people are like, that's not weird. I'm like, well, compared to all the other little girls my age, it was real weird. <laughs> I didn't have a lot of friends. But when I turned 18, I decided I was going to make a break for it. And I, I came to Wyoming. I was living in North Idaho, I grew up in North Idaho. I moved to Wyoming okay. to pursue in, a career in equine studies. I was going to do go into the horse industry. And again, homesteading wasn't on my periphery at that point. I didn't know it was a thing. It really wasn't a thing back then. It was hadn't been talked about like it is now. And so long story short, I worked for horse trainers for a while, met my now husband. And as we were buying our first starter home, we needed a place for the horses. And so we found this little tumble down farmstead in Southeast Wyoming. And it was this weird synergy. Almost as soon as we signed on the dotted line for that property, I was struck with this, I, this inspiration or this craving to make it productive. And I don't know where that came from. It just kind of like hit me. I'm like, what else could we do with this property? Yeah. I mean, it's for my horses, but how else could I make it useful and bring life back to it? And that's where I started to get these crazy ideas of, well, we could build a compost pile and I could grow vegetables and we could get chickens. And little did I know that was kind of what is now defined as homesteading. I had no idea then. I didn't know anybody who was doing it. I just was just thinking it was fascinating. So as I started to progress down that path, I started talking about it online, found other people who were into it, and the rest is history. Here we are. And now I'm, I'm not taking full credit for the homestead movement. There were lots of other people sharing it alongside of me, but the movement is now a, a whole thing and it's picking up steam and it's really, really cool to see where it's come from. So Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I actually follow... I 
I watch other homesteaders on like YouTube. I follow kind of their story, their their day to day. So what kind of inspired you to even, you know, share that with others? Yeah. So I wish there was some grand like aspiration that I was like, I'm going to change the world. But really, honestly, it was a very selfish motivation. It was back in 2010 is when I started my blog. And I had just started this homestead stuff on this new property of ours. And I was so stinking excited. I couldn't stand it. Like I was realizing for the first time ever, like I could make things in the kitchen. I didn't know were possible and I could grow things. And I'm like, we could get our own dairy goats and we could grow our own food. And I could never go to the grocery store again. And I was just like so excited. And every time I'd go to friends and family and tell them, they would be like, ew, Jill, gross. (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) Like, I don't want to make my own yogurt. Why are you excited about that? And so it was very deflating. And I felt like I was like, well, I have no one to talk to. And I felt like I was going to explode because I was so excited and I had to tell someone. And so I just started the blog very selfishly just to be able to express all my excitement to somebody. Even if nobody read it, I just was like typing it out. And yeah, that's, that's where it started. And people started reading it. And I found other people who maybe weren't in my area, but they were other places in the country who also wanted to make homemade yogurt and didn't think it was gross. And so, yeah, the rest is history. It just started building community and it was mm-hmm. super awesome. Well, that's cool. I'd imagine would be kind of when you get to share more and more and more and you're building that community, people are probably going to give you feedback and give you ideas. So is that something that happens where you kind of you know, naturally gain insight from your followers or from your, from your group or from just that community? Yes, totally. And there was an important shift that happened because I think sometimes people hear stories like mine and they're like, all I have to do is talk about my life and I'll have a massive platform in a few years. And that's not really quite how it worked because I did start off with that selfish motivation of just treating my platform like an online diary, basically. Mm -hmm. But then a, a couple years into it, I started to become a little more savvy or at least aware of the world of business. And I started to realize there were people who wanted more information from me. There were people who, when I gave them value, they were very happy to compensate me. And when I started to listen to what their problems were and how I could then creatively solve those problems, that's when my platforms really took off. So it was less about me just like, oh, here's what I ate for lunch. And like, okay, so everyone wants to know how to make bread. There's not a good bread recipe out there. So how can I work on this really hard, figure out all the kinks, and then I can present them a really simple bread recipe. Like getting those pieces figured out was really the magic of when I started to grow. That's awesome. Because it's really awesome because you're probably one of the, you started in 2010 with Prairie Homestead, right? What was the time frame between homesteading and starting the website or what was kind of the, the timeline for that? Sure. Yeah. So we bought our property in 2008 and Then I started the blog in 2010. So it was about two years of, yeah. And I was still working outside of the home. I was a vet tech. So Mm -hmm. when we bought the property, I was, I was working at the vet office and then I got pregnant with our first child and I decided to stay home with her. And so that's where I, when I was home a little bit more, I was like, oh, I have a little more time. And I I was starting to get a little bored in the winter because we have long winters here and I was isolated. So that gave me that time, time and space to start creating more online. So it's about two years, but I'm still very beginner in the world of homesteading. And I look back at some of those early posts and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. But I mean, we all have to start somewhere. So Yes, we, we do start somewhere. And then when you're looking back and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But you learn so much in that process, right? Because I'm sure you've changed and evolved over the years. And what kind of, can you explain how your journey of homesteading evolved throughout the years and like how that's changed from when you first started or kind of, I'm, because I've noticed that you you have several books 
I think there's a couple, I, I believe I saw a cook, cookbook and you have, mm-hmm. do you have a book coming out? In- I do. Yes. I have and, another and- one in September. Yes. What gave you desires to like write a book? I mean, let alone seven. I mean, that's yeah. really ambitious So and, and really great because you're probably giving value to your community as well. Yes. So it's been a fascinating journey. When people ask me sometimes, like, what's your favorite part of homesteading? And they assume, I think I'm going to say, oh, the food or my kids running around in the yard barefoot. Like all those are fun. But I think the biggest piece of this whole journey for me and the biggest transformation has been just seeing the deeper benefits of this lifestyle. And so when we started homesteading, it was very much, what can I get from the homestead? How, how much vegetables, how many eggs, how many gallons of milk? And it was still a wholesome aspiration, but it was a little more shallow. It was a little more surface level. And as we've continued down this path, homesteading has truly changed every part of our life. And that sounds so cliche, but there's so much depth as we dig into these old fashioned principles. And a lot of these are just time honored human traits and characteristics that our modern culture has accidentally or maybe purposely cast aside, but homesteading invites us to come back into those. And so as we've started producing more food over the years and in getting expanding that out, I've learned more about the synergy of soil and the microbes and my place in nature and my relationship with nature. And it's become, that's like one of my biggest joys now is gaining those bits of knowledge. The tomatoes are like a side effect. So the cucumbers and the squash is fun, but like that depth of knowledge and understanding and just that feeling of connectiveness and groundedness to my place here on the homestead, to my community as a whole, and just in nature has been, I think at least right now, that's the piece I'm just really reveling in. And so seeing that transformation of where I started this very innocently and kind of like, oh, I just need tomatoes and squash. And that's why I'm doing this. And now seeing this is like really so important to us as humans. And it kind of keeps us sane in a world that's increasingly chaotic. It's really interesting to dig into those deeper pieces. Yeah. That's something I'm, I find myself, I'm I'm sure tons of people, tons of people are probably like that. And I, I imagine, did you see a growth during COVID when people were staying home? Cause I'd imagine people, cause I was even like that. I was like, I want something simpler. I just need a lot of people just want to get back to the roots just because life, especially nowadays, is so chaotic. It's so fast paced. Everyone kind of wants instant gratification. Let's just yes. maybe describe it that way. It's because you expect everything to be handed. Like there's, it's just a different pace of life if you compared it to 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or even five years ago. Like yeah. it's just crazy how much society, societal norms have changed or standard of living. What what have you seen in the last 10, 12 years or 13 years now since you started the, the website? Yes. Yeah, so it has been fascinating to watch it. Cause like I said, when I first started, it was, I was very much feeling like the Lone Ranger and just slowly, even before COVID, I w- there was starting to be more acceptance. There was more interest in it. And I was shocked when COVID hit. I, I, I remember telling my husband right after the virus really started hitting the news and people in that first two week where we're like, everyone's going to stay home for two weeks and then we're all going to go back to normal. Like little did we know. And I remember during that first two week stretch, I looked at my husband and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to have a business anymore because people are going to be so worried about the virus and survival. They're not going to want to learn how to have chickens and make bread. Like I'm, I might be done. This might be the kiss of death. And like, saying that now is hilarious because we all know what happened. Like 
sourdough bread went crazy. You couldn't buy flour. You couldn't buy chicks. You couldn't buy seeds. And so the exact opposite happened. So I get a F for my economic predictions on that one. Which is good so, for you, right? Which is I good mean, like, for me. Right. Yeah. But man, 2020 was an explosive year for my content, which it was just insane to me. I had stuff go viral. I never had go viral before. People wanted the bread. People wanted the chicken information in the gardens. And it was really, I mean, as, as traumatizing as the pandemic was to so many people, it was amazing to see people finally starting to embrace those skills and starting to put value back in them. Because it felt like prior to that, I mean, the movement was growing, but it was a little bit of an uphill trudge. And then uh, there was something about the pandemic that everyone's like, even people who lived in the middle of the city are like, wait, I need something else. I'm missing something. I need to feel grounded. I need to feel connected. And that's honestly kind of where the motivation for this, uh, my upcoming book came from, just because I'm like, what is happening? And has this happened before in history? And what is it about this state of turmoil that's causing us to go backwards? It's causing us to go back to the simpler time. And so it's fascinating when you get into the motivations behind that. But yeah, I love seeing the movement grow over the years. And I think it's really important to our culture that it continue to grow. Yeah. I, and I think it's great because I, I, we've experienced that with our company, with Curb and Turf, where we deal with a lot of with RVers and we follow this, like the sales of RVs. Like during COVID, actually the sales shot up. There wasn't enough RVs being mag- manufactured yeah. for them to actually ha- have enough. So that told us that people like you're saying, are clamoring to get back to nature, climbing, clamoring to get back to simpler times. I just want to buy a big plot of land and just live off the land. And there's just something about it. And because you, you mentioned that that's something you, and I've had other people on this podcast say the similar thing that they're either in a suburban area or whatever, and then they just have this desire to live kind of a country lifestyle or something more simpler. Is there something that you could pinpoint that kind of inspired you to do that? Yeah. So for for me personally, I think it was just in me, which maybe isn't helpful to others. Like I literally have had an obsession with it since I was like three or four years old. However, in folks, in so many of the folks I'm seeing right now who maybe didn't have that as a child, but now they're feeling it. I think it's the result of the pendulum swinging because like we humans love extremes. So we swing all the way over here and we go all the way back. And so if we look at the last 100, 150 years or so, industrial revolution, we got so obsessed with progress and so obsessed with technology. And it was like everything about our culture in many places was just done with nature, done with the old ways, in with the new, screw all the nature pieces, screw the, the animals in the land. We don't care. We want the, the human advancements is the best. And so we followed that for a while. And I think we're all over here on the pendulum. And now we're all starting to feel like, wait a second, we forgot some, like, some, something's off, something feels wrong. And I think now that pendulum's starting to correct. And I think COVID really helped speed that up. But I think that people are starting to finally feel that disconnect from living in very unnatural environments. Like humans aren't really supposed to be living in artificial light on asphalt and concrete and in man-made environments 24-7. And I think our bodies are kind of telling us, hey, you're you're out of whack. You need to go back to something that is a little more natural, what, what our bodies have been accustomed to since the beginning of time. And so I think that's what's starting to wake up in people, which I think is a really good thing. And I, I love to see it because 
It's not that we have to go full Amish or we have to like leave all technology behind. I'm not off grid. I think that's a cool lifestyle, but it's not something I aspire to. So it's not that we have to go back to a different extreme. It's like, how can we weave the best of the old with the new and find some center there? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because my, literally my brother and my sister-in-law six months ago or something, they moved to Missouri from, from, from Eastern Oregon, which is like Mm. Idaho. And so they moved, they moved from, from their home and then moved to an Amish community. They literally live in an Amish house. So they don't have, so they literally, and I was like, like envious, but at the same time, like scared for them at the same, you know, it's like jumping in head first, like into, but, but from what I gather, there's the, their, that community, the Amish community is so helpful. They, they helped my brother and my sister-in-law so much in, in, in a lot of things, which is, which is kind of neat. Cause like, have you experienced that with home setting with your neighbors or, or how, how close is your nearest neighbor? Cause I know that may, that could be miles. It could be yeah. what, what's, and then knowing that like you're probably on the prairies, I'm assuming. So the, the weather, you're probably getting in some extreme weather, especially during the winter. Right. Yes. We get crazy weather. And yeah, and I think that's one of the pieces I love about the old fashioned mindset is that sense of community. And the Amish are such an awesome example of that in how they band together. Because I've, I've talked about this before online. We homesteaders, including myself, sometimes we like the phrase self-sufficiency because it sounds, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just like it. I just like it. It makes me feel good inside to say that and think about it. But in essence, we really can never be fully self-sufficient because I mean... If we did, I mean, I don't even know how it would be possible. And if it was, it would be all you could do. Like you couldn't do anything yeah. else, but just and like. you have all the answers. because You'd have all the answers. Yeah. So it's, it's basically almost impossible. So you, you really need that community sufficiency. And you see that in rural communities. Like I don't live in an Amish community, but I live in a ranching community and neighbors help each other. And we get together to do cattle work together and we get together to build things. And when someone's snowed in, everyone shows up with their tractors. And it's just a really, it's really special. And I think that that's a piece that's really missing from modern life, even though our population is more dense, our cities are bigger, but we have less community. So yeah, I love that idea of bringing that back. Even if you live in the suburbs, how can you create community in your neighborhood or how can you create community in your apartment complex? That's a really old fashioned skill that's, that needs to be brought back. It's so needed. Cause I could tell you when I was growing up, I knew my neighbor from like literally a half mile, a mile down the road Yes, and we were relied on them more. I knew their names. I knew their, like everyone's, I knew everyone. I'm in a not so big, it's a big, not a big city. It's it's Idaho. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, but I don't even know my neighbor's name. And yeah. so it's just, it's just that I, I don't know what it is. Like, well, I know what it is it's because you do have to rely on others. And so you form those connections just because yeah. you do, like you're saying, you do rely on your neighbors. And it's one of those cool things because you end up becoming family. And I really love what you're doing. So, I, and just keep, keep it up. I mean, I, it's really great that you you're doing that. And I don't mean to bring your husband into it, but how is he, I believe his name's Christian, right? Yes. Yes. How is he, how has his role changed during the homesteading, like during this whole transition? Yes. That, yeah. And that's a big, a big topic. It's a good, it's a good question because it has changed considerably. And I think it's common that I think a lot of homestead families start with the wives getting interested in it. And that's not true always, but it's true. I'd say the majority of the time. And so that was definitely the case with us. I had 
some of the crazy ideas first. He also, he always loved like the rural piece. He wanted to live in the country. He wanted cattle, but he was like, why are, why are we getting chickens? Why, why are we doing compost? So he came into that a little bit later. Now why, he's why are you com- giving me more responsibility. Yeah. Why do I have more projects? <laughs> so there's more to build. Always right. something to build. Right. So he's fully indoctrinated now. Like now he's the one going, we need a new chicken tractor. How are we going to build this thing? So now he's completely sold it, sold out sold in or whatever you want to, however you want to say it. But yeah, as his, his role has changed a lot. I think mostly around the entrepreneur side of things, because when I started my blog, I didn't intend for it to become a business. I didn't know it could be a business. And so he was working as an electrician, typical nine to five, and he was the breadwinner. And then, I mean, it make it sound fast. It was more like, I think five or six years, five or six years into it. My business has started to surpass his income and he was working insane number of hours and doing a lot of overtime. So I never saw him and my business was making good money. So we're like, is this worth it for you to leave home every day? Like when right. do we pull the plug on the traditional employment? Right. And so that was a whole, I mean, it was a several year process. It was kind of rocky for him because a, a man is very much tied into their sense of worth into what they produce, which is great and normal. And so he had to mm-hmm. kind of refine his identity, but yeah, so now Fast forward to today, we are full-time entrepreneurs, full-time family. He's now, he mans the cattle enterprise side of our world and we sell beef and, and raise cattle. And he is always doing the projects and building the things for all of our various businesses. And so it's worked out really well. It took us a while to get to this point, but it's fun to have something we do together now. Yeah. Cause I think I saw one of your videos talking about that, talking about, mm, that transition and how, and even giving advice to others where I think it's, it's not that easy and don't yeah. expect it to be that easy. What other advice do you have for people, you know, anyone interested in, in starting a lifestyle like similar to what you're doing at homesteading? Yeah. So I think my first piece of advice would be whatever you're feeling, if you're feeling those tugs, don't ignore them. Like those are meaningful. They count. So pay attention. That's your intuition going, Hey, you, you need more of this in your life. So take note of that. And then the other piece of advice would be the online world was so different than when I started. And so when I started homesteading, I was doing the tiniest little baby steps. And I thought I was just so cool every single time because I had no one to compare to. And so every time I made a new loaf of bread, I was like, I am a rock star or I, I bought a new chicken. I am so cool. And I, and I felt, I felt that sense of accomplishment and fast forward to today, the blessing and the curse of the internet is that we have so many people who are doing big things that we can in, be inspired by, which can be so wonderful to give us ideas and encouragement. It can also be really discouraging as you're looking at maybe even people like me and you're like, oh man, she has a really nice homestead with a fancy chicken coop and a fancy raised bed garden and four milk cows. And all I have is a stupid chicken. And so you don't get to experience that same sense of accomplishment because you're, you're comparing, right? And comparison is the thief of joy. I don't know who said that originally, but it's a, that's a well-known quote and it's so true. So I would say take inspiration from the online world as much as you need it. And then also know that your little baby steps are going to add up because all those big Instagram accounts that have the pretty homesteads, we all started with the baby steps. You're just seeing us 10, 15 years into our journey. And so don't let that discourage you. Keep on trucking because those little tiny steps you're making towards a more wholesome, more old fashioned life, they really do matter and they really add up. Yep. I agree. I I love that advice because a lot of people do get stuck with trying to keep up with the Joneses. I'm sure it's similar to your audience where they're like, oh, I, I 
want to be like you. I'm sure you get that. And then yeah. you're kind of like, well, you know, and I love the not comparing yourself to others. It's more comparing yourself to your old self. If that makes sense. Like comparing, yes. see how much you progress. And I'm yes. sure like you, you could take that and look at hindsight and be like, Hey, look how much we've grown. Cause you went from having this blog, the website, and then it's just grown to this audience probably exploded during COVID. And then you're able to bring your husband on board, which is great because then you get to spend more time with him, like you're mentioning, and then you become yeah. more of a family unit. And not only that, you get to be more grounded with your, your children and everything else, which is great. I just wish more people would understand the importance of, of family. And homesteading, how have you seen that help your family? And how has it kind of helped your children and their development? Man, it's been so important. And I think one of the most rewarding parts is watching them grow up in the lifestyle. And it just teaches so many life lessons that we can still facilitate as parents without a homestead, but the homestead does a lot of it for me. So I feel like sometimes I, it just, it just is my co-parent on certain things, things on, or lessons on failure and resilience and just the circle of life and death. And it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to have our, our kids next to us when animals are dying or babies are stillborn or things happen, but it's created in them a, an inner toughness and a, and a deeper understanding of life and how precious it is. And yeah, it's just something that I'm really thankful that they've been able to experience that. And like I said, I'm, for those listening who don't have a homestead or a farm, there's plenty of other ways to build that into your children. But I, I really love how the farm life or the rural life can help inform us into those lessons. And so it just, it's kind of opened my eyes and yeah, it's, it's fun to see them grow in their confidence and their capability. My kids actually were gone for a week last month. They visited their grandparents and my husband and I stayed here and they do all the chores. And so my husband and I had to do all the chores and we were like, what on earth is this? Like we have a lot of chores to do. And like, I had to get instructions from my 10 year old on how to do all the things before he left. And so it was funny and it was kind of cool. Cause I'm like, man, they're really capable. Like they're doing all this without us and they don't complain and they just do it and they're really good right. at it. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been fun to have them along yeah. for the ride. That that's, that's awesome. If you're going to your 10 year old for advice, I mean, yes. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> pretty awesome. Do the chickens in this barn. I don't know how you're doing it. It was, it was funny. It was funny. Some pa parents yeah. may be turned off by that, but I think that's yeah. amazing just because then you're learning from each other. Right. And then you're, yes. it's developing a relationship of trust. It's developing, developing all these things that you probably don't even imagine in, in certain ways because I remember when I was growing up, it was similar. Like yeah, the cows don't feed themselves usually. Yeah. Like you have to go out and do things and because there's other animals and things that are dependent on you. That was my motivation when I was younger is just helping out on the dairy yeah. where I was plant, planting crops and everything else. Like I learned a lot of things that, that really grounded me and developed to the person I am today, which I'm grateful for. And I'm sure your, your children are going to, look back and they're going to be so grateful of the the life that they led, which is, which is amazing. So how do you manage your time? Because you're talking to me, you, you have animals, you have your, the demands of homesteading, running the online business, sharing your knowledge with others. How do you balance and manage your time? 
That is a great question. Sometimes I do it better than others. <laughs> Depends on the season. So the first thing I like people to know is I do, we do have help. We have employees. So I'm not doing it all by myself. That would be a recipe for disaster. So I have online assistants who help with editing the pot, my podcast or helping with blog posts or just answering emails. Cause that's like one of the hardest parts for me is keeping track of all the the correspondence. We have a couple interns this summer. They're helping. They're in the house right now working on some stuff while I'm talking to you. We have a hired man with our ranch situation. He actually, right before I got on, he ran down the road because there was some cows getting out. So he's dealing with that. So there is, I didn't have that immediately when I started my business, of course, Mm -hmm. but as my business started to grow, I started to put funds into hiring help as fast as I could, which helped me to grow more quickly, which is a hard, as an entrepreneur, that's a hard choice because you're like, oh, I have a little extra revenue. Do I put it in the bank or do I invest it into a team? And, and for us, investing into the team has been a really wise choice. And so I have lots of help. The other piece is, is that I go into, I go through things in seasons and I'm very mindful of the seasonality of life and the homestead has helped inform me into that. Right now, it's summer. It is insanity here. We have so many things happening and I'm not making a lot of bread. I'm not really cooking a whole lot, honestly. I mean, we're doing mm-hmm. very simple suppers. In the wintertime, that's when I play with my more advanced recipes. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's a garden. In the winter, it's not garden. So in the winter, I read more. In the summer, I don't read a whole lot or I don't spend a lot of time creating intricate things on the internet. And so I'm just really mindful. Like There's a season for growth. There's a season for rest. There's a season for cooking. There's a season for creating digital content. And so I, I really f- try to follow that as much as I can. And there's still chaos in our life. Like we recently, we own own a little restaurant and we had some upheaval with a team member leaving. And so it it threw me into like, I'm at the restaurant more right now and I don't have time to be at the restaurant more. So there's definitely, it's not a roses and sunshine. Like sometimes things converge and it's utter insanity, but for the most part, seasons are really important and those team members are crucial to us. That's great. And I I love that. Actually, almost like having weird in with seasons, what's ex- what to expect. And then yeah. it's kind of like, you can almost use that in life. You're going to have seasons, different types of seasons. So you have to, you know, you could pattern your life depending on what you're going through. And, and I, th- I think it's great that you're able to adjust and be, it sounds like you're pretty, you have to be pretty fluid and kind of pretty yes. on your swivel, especially if you're on the ranch or, or not ranch, but yeah. on homestead and having, yeah. having, animals and everything else, those are going to, those things are dependent on you. So yes, there is some, yeah, definite flexibility, which isn't, I I used to be really bad at being flexible and I, homesteads kind of forced me to learn how to be better at that because it requires that sometimes. So what do you think has been the most difficult part as far as just maybe just starting out? Because obviously I think as you developed over the years, now as you grown, like what kind of what's kind of been the pitfalls of of homesteading and what have you learned from those pitfalls mm, yeah or- i know for us at the at the beginning the hardest part was wanting to do all the projects at once and not having the time or money to do so and we actually had some friends over they're new to the area a couple of days ago and they were sharing they were i feel like they were who we were back in 2008 they bought a tumble down property just a few miles down the road and they were sharing like oh my gosh there's so much to do and we're trying to budget it out and i don't have the time and i just was like oh i remember those feelings and it's so frustrating and you feel like you're never going to get there you will you will get there right. but it's just the patience of rationing the projects and rationing the budget and so for anyone in those seasons you'll get you'll get through it and honestly 
fast forward to where we are today, there's still projects we want to do that are not getting done. So that the project list never really goes away, but you'll start to see advancement in those areas. And that feels really good. Right. And that's, yeah, that's something I kind of want to talk about because there's sometimes people are struggling, especially if you're a landowner on how to monetize your property. Cause you're talking, you're kind of talking about that earlier. Yeah. Curb and turf's a way if, if there, are, if you are a landowner and willing to have so let me explain what Curb and Turf is. Curb and Turf is basically like an Airbnb for RVers where we get landowners to open up their property to RVers or travelers to stay for the night. So they basically pay you a nightly fee to, to stay there. And then we have everything built out on the platform. So if you guys went to www.curbandturf.com and you'll be able to see the different sites that we have. Our onboarding is super easy if you wanted to start hosting RVers or guests. We have ways to where you're able to monetize your property. So if you do offer fruits, vegetables, any kind of service, goods, we have an a la carte feature, which is great because then you can actually set your price of certain, if you offer a breakfast or anything like that, then that way guests can actually click, they could order through the a la carte and you'll know ahead of time of the things that those guests are requiring, and then you get paid what you're worth. You get you set the price, curb and turf, we get 15%, and then the the landowners, the hosts get 85%. So it's kind of follows that Airbnb model. And so that's one of the re, one of the ways people could make money off their their land if that's something they're willing to do. Again, RVers, there's tons of a lot of people don't know this, but there's like half a million RVs being sold every year. And there's roughly 18,000 campsites or campgrounds available to them. So mm. there's this huge, huge need of, of RVers. That's why you see tons of RV. Like if you go back, go through, if you travel near a storage area where they have RVs, there's just tons of RVs and they're not being used. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons because they don't know where to take them. And, and sometimes you have to plan a year out to even ex- enjoy that thing, enjoy the 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 $100,000 investment or however yes. much it was to, to even do that. So again, if you're guys, if anyone's interested listening, go ahead and go to our website. If you have any questions, we have representatives that are more than will, willing to answer any of those questions as well. And, and I just think it's, it's so important to try to monetize your land. Cause a lot of people just yes. let it appreciate, which is typically what's going to happen because you, you can't really make more land. So it's a commodity where, it's just something that's there. And then if you if you haven't a lot of it, good for you. But if you don't have any of it, then it's one of those things where it's important to have. And especially when we're you don't know what the future is like, yep. it's probably one of the safest investments you can make. How has your property changed through over the years? Oh man, so much. And it's really it's just been like a a, a palette or a blank canvas rather. an an empty canvas of just for us to create. My husband and I love building and growing and creating in all different ways, whether that's online or that's in person and just having the land to be able to let those dreams come to life. It's really been everything. And and I don't know, like people often ask us, are you going to stay on that place? Because we're still in the same property we bought back in 2008. It's changed a lot. And people will say, are you going to ever move? Are you going to buy more property? And while we'd, we'd like to have more land, like, man, the 
there's so much of us in this place now and there's so many lessons and like you can go, I can go walk around and just see the layers of our little baby fledgling newlywed selves and the dreams that we had and now who we are today and this land has grown with us and the projects have grown with us. And so it's been like, man, I, I know land is expensive right now and I know people are struggling. People want acreage and they're struggling to find acreage, but if you can continue to prioritize that in your budget and your savings account and keep putting those pennies in a, in a jar and saving for that, it's really worth it. It's, it's really worth it. And it's been just everything. We can host people here. We can hold events here. We can grow our food here. We're raising our children here. And it's just really, it's just our, our home base in every sense of the word. Yeah. Those are, those are similar statements I hear from other landowners just because they, yeah. and then if you're not, if you're listening to this, you're not in a situation or you don't own land, like like she's yeah. saying, like it's not save your save your pennies, save those dollars. Like it's eventually could happen. And you'd be surprised. And I would like to say anyone, if you're if you're dreaming of land, be willing to get some maybe marginal land or land that no one else wants and mm-hmm. have some vision for that. And I know everyone dreams of like the perfect old farmhouse with a a white picket fence. And that's ideal if you can find it. They're also outrageously expensive right now. And what people don't realize when they see the pictures of our property now, it was the one that no one wanted. Like the neighbors made fun of us when we bought it. Like it was a disaster. It was the laughing stock of the neighborhood, but it was what we could afford back then. And so that's what we got. And there's something really special about taking a piece of neglected land that's been abused and forgotten and bringing it back to life. And I think that has Mm -hmm. been one of my favorite parts. I don't know if I would have had that same sense of gratification if we would have bought like the picture perfect farm and just moved our stuff in turnkey. So I am a little bit of a fixer. I'm actually a lot of a fixer upper. So that could just be my personality. But man, if you can find something that is neglected and forgotten and you can bring it back to life, that's really, really cool. Yeah. And it is something cool. It's because it's something that you're making your own, you know, it's yeah. because you have to, and sometimes the land will dictate what, what it's going to provide. Sure. You, right? Yes, absolutely. Because, and you have to have them. So you have to kind of be within the bounds of whatever that area is. So, but it's important and then let it kind of speak to you and, and it eventually it'll, it'll get there. It just takes, it takes time. Yes. Another thing I, I want, so your upcoming book, it's, is it called Old Fashioned on Purpose? It is, yes. And it, it focuses on living a more fulfilling, old-fashioned life, you, like you mentioned earlier. What, so what inspired you to even write that book? Yeah, so it was really a lot about kind of what we talked about today. And it was kind of a culmination of over 10 years of living this homestead life. And so much of that initially was focused on the tangible and the practical. But then as I've started to dig in and see those deeper benefits and those the development of just me as a person from homesteading, I started to ask myself, like, how can I bring these principles to more people? Because they, they have our, our culture needs them, especially right now. We can't just have them available to those who have hundred acres and, and cows, right? We need to have these right. principles into a broader world. And so I started to kind of distill them down and look at history and look at writings of the past and kind of see where they came from and see how we could bring them forward. And so that's what this book kind of came from. And it was, it was really fun to write. It's definitely more of a philosophy book versus a how-to, although there is some fun little recipes and stuff in there. But if anyone is wanting to feel more grounded, to feel more connected to their land and their place in themselves, I think the book's a really good place to start. Perfect. And, and that's when, and that's coming out in September, you said? September 26th. Yes. And if people Perfect. want to pre-order, they can do so. And there's a whole bunch of free bonuses that are just for the pre-order crowd. So they can check that out. Perfect. So 
We'll get all that information at the end. We'll put it in the bio and anywhere else we're having the the podcast. So we'll put that on. So, because we talk about this old fashioned kind of getting back to your roots, homesteading. What are what are some of the key principles and practices that define kind of an old fashioned lifestyle? Yeah. So I distilled it down. I mean, there's a lot of ways that could go, right? But I distilled it down right. into eight pillars, and that's really what became the chapters of the book. Um, okay. I'm gonna see if I can. I don't know if I can rattle them all off in perfect order, but it's things like growing your own food, working with your hands cooking from scratch, building community. We have a chapter on just how to parent and on the old fashioned way. We talked a little bit about raising kids and how you can bring those principles into your life, no matter where you live, having respect for the natural environment and kind of treading lightly on the earth. I'm trying to think of the others. Oh, unplugging from technology. I still use technology. Obviously I'm talking to you on this fancy podcast right. app, right. but how do we bring that into balance so it doesn't take over our life mm. and uh, yeah, so there's there's those pillars. And my goal, again, in the book is to explain how we got away from those in the first place and then how we can get back, even if you don't have a homestead, because we're really going deeper than just here's how to get a milk cow, here's how to get chickens. I love those pieces too, but I really wanted right. this to go to that deeper level. That That's awesome. I, I, there's so many things that people can connect with that because especially if it's just unplugging and and just kind of getting away from technology, obviously it's not, I think some people just get so consumed with technology, they're oblivious to what's happening around them. Or, yes. And it's so, I think it's so important that, I, I think that's great. So I, I invite anyone that, I, I'm going to get the book <laughs> just because of that. Because I think that's something that we need, we need more of that. It's just getting back to our roots. And that's why one of the reasons why people are kind of clamoring for that type of lifestyle or those kind of values. And that's, Super great. I love that. So how do you see old fashioned values and how can you intersect that with modern way of living? How can you find balance in those two things? Yeah, I think it can be different for each person. It's kind of figuring out what you feel you're missing the most or what's kind of tugging on you the most, what aspect of life. And then for me, it always starts by asking the question, what did we do before industrialism or progress really took over and kind of told us the way it was. And because so often we're living these modern lives and we think it is the way it is, or this is the way we do it now, or this is just how culture dictates, but we never question like, is this, is this the only way? What did we do prior to this invention? And so for me, it's always looking back and going, okay, what did they do back then? Some of it's not always great, right? There were things happening that I'm like, eh, no, I don't need to go mimic that. But then taking the good parts and bringing it into our everyday and being a little just more intentional and more awake with how I'm operating. And that to me has been kind of the, the magic formula. That's awesome. So it's just yeah. basically looking for those good things in the past and applying them to your present or your future. I think that's really great just because there's obviously there's going to be things that are just will serve you well and things that just won't work just because right. there's modern technology and why you, you, know, yes. you don't need a... <laughs> You don't need the oxen driven plow or whatever. Right. You know, it's not a little house right. on the prairie necessarily. So, or yeah, sometimes I like talk about old fashioned parenting and I'm always like, okay, hold on. So I'm not, I'm not saying like put your kids down the chimneys and have them sweep the chimney. Like there's things that happened in the past that weren't great. You know, just because right. it's old doesn't mean it's automatically better. So we have to right. have some, some nuance and some feel there, but yeah, right. there's a lot of, sure. or when they were putting cocaine in their drinks and heroin in their <laughs> medicines. Like, yeah, yeah, we don't need to do that. But right. yeah, use use common sense. But there's there's good stuff yeah. back there. Yeah, I, I agree. 
And so what, so what are your future plans and goals with the Prairie Homestead, with your online platform and what, what's kind of going to be some personal homesteading goals that you have in the future? Mm, yeah. So I think the, just on the homestead, I'm always looking on how I can reduce our inputs and just mimic nature more and more. And so for me, like, and just in my gardens, I'm trying to kind of close the loop in terms of how can I build more soil and use the resources I have and put it back into the, my ground and let the ground nurture the animals and the plants. And just like, I'm still kind of thinking through all that because even if we're trying to move away from the industrial paradigm, it still affects us in a lot of ways and just kind of how mm -hmm. we think. So I'm always working towards that, letting it be simpler and, and not trying to force certain things. Like I'm a little, I'm becoming more, more and more interested in permaculture and how I can just work with nature instead of trying to like force it into my little right. boxes of what I think should right. be. And then online, if you'd asked me two years ago, what my aspirations were for my online business, I would have had like it all bullet pointed out and like, bam, 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 we're going to do this. And like these days I feel a little more like going with the flow. <laughs> like I, I know I'm called to speak to this, these topics. I'm excited for the book. I'm excited to see what the book will do. I'm putting a lot of energy into getting that into as many hands as possible. But at this point, I feel like my biggest goal with my platforms is just to, to speak boldly about the things that I feel like I'm supposed to speak Two, these old-fashioned principles, encouraging modern folks to weave it together, and I'll just see where that takes me. So, yeah, it's exciting. That, that's awesome. I think those those values are so important, and I love. I, I I'm, I've said this probably thirty times already. I really think your your messaging is so important. And where can people follow you if they don't know how to get a hold of you? What are some of your social media links? So my original blog's still going, and it has kind of all. It's a hub of all the things I do. So the prairiehomestead.com. And then I'm most active on Instagram in terms of the social media stuff. So if you want to follow me over there, it's jill.winger. And then the podcast is called Old Fashioned on Purpose. And so we have some really cool guests and kind of get into some of these topics in a deeper way. Yep. And I love that. I love that you also highlight your most recent podcast on your on your website, on the blog. Yes. It, yes. Which is great. I mentioned to my boss, I'm like, hey, we should do something like that. We should have a media player that just plays the most recent podcast because that's a great way for people yeah. just to listen and, and kind of dive into your content and dive into your messaging, which is I, I've, I've fallen in love with it. So it's really been great. Thank you so much. We'd love to have even a follow up in the future, maybe after your book's release. So maybe yeah. we'll follow up again. For we, sure. Again, we really appreciate you being on our podcast today. And thank you so much for your time today, Jill. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It's good to, good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to The Recurring Plot, presented by Curb and Turf. Curb and Turf works like Airbnb, but we help RVers to find land where they can park when they're traveling. Make more money from your land. Please visit CurbandTurf.com to list your property.